I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Day four of the NFL Combine here in Indianapolis. Day one of them actually doing anything on the field. They're out there in the stadium right now. We're running on fumes, Brad. We're running on fumes here in Indianapolis. Us and Keanu Benton just cruising on fumes. Nice. Sam Monson here back with Brad Spielberger. And we're going to take a little look at the first mock draft we could find post the Jalen Carter news. Um, So it's from... Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. We'll get into that in just a second. But first, just enough time to tell you that the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash pff that's westernsouthern.com forward slash pff okay brad this is an interesting mock um the first thing i think we need to to state up top is he has sent some quarterback dominoes falling that obviously changes the entire dynamic when it comes to mock drafts comes to where the quarterbacks are going to go so let's sort of show where he's putting guys in free agency and trades and all that kind of thing before we get anywhere. He has Derek Carr signing with the New York Jets. He's got Aaron Rodgers being traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. He's got Lamar Jackson being traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Ryan Tannehill signing with the New Orleans Saints once he gets released. And then Jimmy Garoppolo signing with the Tennessee Titans. So those are a bunch of teams that could potentially be in the quarterback market in any other mock draft that are kind of taken care of here. Um, and then we got trades as well. This is like there's a lot of work put into this mock draft. This is not just here's your order, here's who we're drafting. Chris does a great job. You know there are some maybe not the the most p- p- popular consensus picks in here, but he he puts the work in, so it's worth discussing for sure. So number one, number one overall pick, Chicago trades out of that spot. The Indianapolis Colts trade up. They're coming after their quarterback, and in this one, it's Anthony Richardson from Florida. And the first interesting thing here is with the Jalen Carter news, the Chicago, were they previously not trying to drop far down the list? And now maybe do they say, hey, look, four and nine are the same thing at this point, right? right. If we think it was a Jalen Carter and Will Anderson and the rest type of group, do we now go to Carolina at nine and take you know multiple first-round picks in the future? Um, but, yes, obviously let's get to the Anthony Richardson part. Look, he is that guy that teams will take the risk on. He has all the tools in the world. I think one thing I wanted to push back on I've heard a lot of is you know he's not super polished. One thing he's great at, his pressure to sack ratio is phenomenal. Like he, he does not let pressures continuously convert. You're going to hear like Malik Willis comps. Malik, Malik Willis is the opposite. If you, if you right. know. So, he, yes, he needs to get better accuracy, a couple things, of course, but he is good at avoiding pressure. Where do you – so I know, um, you know, Chris Ballard was out there, I think, yesterday saying essentially <laughs> trying to fight back at the obvious Chicago open for business type trades. He's saying, you know – I don't know that we need to trade up to number one. We can sit here at four and get our guy. You know, you don't always need to go getting the quarterback. You can sit there. It's not necessarily that we're we're going to have to make this happen. Is that simply what he has to say at this point to try and put some dampeners on that? Or do they really think that they might be able to sit at four and take the quarterback that they like? I think you have to say it regardless, right? Just to you know, get some leverage for yourself in potential trade conversations. Uh, you always do, or they always want to go up for their guy, quote-unquote, but maybe it is a scenario where they say, especially now, we were talking about Anthony Richardson, that there are four guys. Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Levis, and they say, we'll take one of those four players. We like all of them, um, and they do sit there. But, you know, we've seen historically, teams want their guy, not a guy. Yeah, I... I, I it's interesting. I've seen all four of these quarterbacks now mocked number one overall at various points of the whole process. Um, to us, obviously, it's going to be Bryce Young. I think he is the uh, – he's got the best tape of any of them. I mean, that's the starting point. That should be the thing that you start with. Obviously, his weigh-in, the size, that's going to be the concern. And it does make sense that if you're freaked out by that, if you're freaked out by the idea that he might be 5'10", 180, or something along those lines, 
you're going to gravitate to the opposite end of the spectrum. Like somebody like Anthony Richardson, 6'4", 230. Somebody like Will Levis, 6'4", 225, whatever he is. Those are the types of players I think you're going to be focused on at that number one overall spot. And right now, the momentum seems to be building for Richardson over Levis as that guy if you're taking a gamble. Yeah, which is interesting. I, I think it's, you know, I get it again. The tools for Richardson are off the charts. Um, but Levis, when I mean, you look at him, he's a guy, he's going to get all the Josh, Allison, Josh Allen comps. Not sure I would go there. But also a guy that has a lot of tools, is a good athlete, can run, you know, more of a scrambler than a design runner like a Josh Allen, but can use his legs. Um, you know, he's kind of in that range as well. Um, and I think he's still, you know, I mentioned this last night on the, the forecast, but the value right now is maybe on betting on anyone but Bryce Young to be the first overall pick. He's, uh, he's intriguing because his accuracy might be worse than Josh Allen coming out. And for similar reasons in terms of mechanics, all those kinds of things, um, I don't necessarily buy the idea that you need to sit him year one, you know, teach him how to play the game. Like from a process standpoint, he's there. The issue is the, the technique and the things that actually need some time to get cleared up and be worked on maybe by an individual coach, much like happened with Josh Allen. The, the problem with that is that doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen during the course of a season and that might take a year that might take two years like it did with Allen to kind of work its way out and then like year three you suddenly get this giant leap forward in terms of accuracy and performance and overall ability Um, but the question I think for him is is his rushing ability good enough that right now you can kind of buy that time and the offense will be okay it'll be functional even with him as an an inaccurate quarterback and an inefficient passer you know until you're able to fix those things assuming that's possible I think the one thing that's interesting there is you know he played in a pro style offense in Kentucky offensive line was not very good this year you know lost Wandale Robinson to the draft the year prior so didn't have a great crop of receivers at least compared to years past so maybe you could sell yourself on he is a little bit more pro ready he can step in but the big thing if we're going to talk about Allen that was a new GM and and a new head coach to a degree this is Chris Ballard entering what year six seven whatever it is can he wait till a year three breakout for Will Levis I who knows yeah, okay, number two. This, to me, sound, or reminds me a little bit like Detroit a year ago, where if this happened, it's jackpot for Houston. Number two, they, they kind of screwed themselves out of the number one overall pick for, by winning a pointless game late in the season. We've been talking about, do they jump back up? Do they try and secure their quarterback at number one? Whatever. They're going to sit here in this mock draft, pick number two, and get Bryce Young, who we think is the best quarterback available. Now, Bryce Young here is listed at six foot one ninety four. He's probably neither of those things, but I still think that's like the best possible scenario for the the Texans here. Couldn't agree more. I, I mean, I think he is the best prospect in this class. We've seen him throw over the middle, do the things that you hear the you know the concerns with the shorter quarterbacks. We've done I think research in the past on batted passes and height are not tied together. No, um, you know, and correlated. So look, I, I get the the size thing of him. If he gets hit, is he gonna be able to get back up? He took a decent amount of shots from SEC defensive players um, in college and was able to jump back up. So I get the concern, but I think he has some of the best pocket presence and poise I've seen from a college quarterback in a very long time. Um, I'm taking that gamble, and I've said it before. D'Amico Ryans and Bryce Young and some of the pieces they have, I think they're building something there if they pull that off. And with, you know, PFF Bobby Slowick as the offensive coordinator, I mean, from a purely selfish point of view, he's the quarterback you'd want to give a guy like Bobby to work with, right? Because we've already seen his tape is much better than any of these guys. The, the things that Bobby has to do as an offensive coordinator to get this guy cooking at a decent level there's a lot less work to be done than there is with you know figuring out how to make the best of Anthony Richardson or what can you get out of Will Levis in, in year one and or, or C.J. Stroud. Like I think Bryce Young's ready to go right now. The only question is, does he stay upright and does he you know keep himself healthy? And you mentioned those hits he's been taking in the SEC. On the one hand, that's a great thing because he's shown the ability to take hits like that and keep on going. On the other hand. You really don't want him taking many of those hits. Like the fact that he's taken that many is itself a little bit of a problem or at least a concern. That's really the only like red flag, I guess. No, for sure. And you hope you can coach that out of him. It's usually on, it gets the ball out, but if he holds on a little bit too long um, and gets hit as he's throwing. But again, I should mention, just like I talked about Will Levis, his offensive line this year, not particularly good. Um, his receiving core for Alabama, I know we think Alabama, we think, oh, he's surrounded by blue chip guys at every spot. Like, there were some, some holes in the O-line. If he goes from a Vanderbilt transfer at left tackle to Laramie Tunsil, had to, you know, dig my own my own school there. But that's a big upgrade. And the receivers weren't that great at Alabama this past year compared to, you know, we're used to seeing multiple first-round pick-type players. Um, but, yeah, he's got to avoid those hits. But I think you can coach that out of him to a degree. 
Now, the third overall pick is where I think this mock gets particularly interesting because that's been Arizona. That's been the team that's been talked about as, well, they're going to take one of those two blue-chip defensive players. Chicago's angling for the other one. Um, obviously, with Jalen Carter slipping in this mock draft after the, the legal news that, that broke yesterday, he's off the table. I think the assumption is that Arizona would just pivot. They would go to Will Anderson, the edge rusher from Alabama, if indeed they were ever interested in Jalen Carter in the first place. But in this mock, Chris has Arizona trading out, trading with Carolina, who jump up and get their quarterback, and Carolina drafts Will Levis. I think this one's interesting. I mean, I'm sure people have talked about it a bunch, but Josh McCown, the new quarterbacks coach in Carolina, um, did some work with underdog football and compared C.J. Stroud to Joe Burrow and said he's a phenomenal young prospect and a really good player. Um, you know, I think they, they could maybe be big fans of Stroud in that building. Um, so, you know, they go with Levis here instead. Again, a guy that I do think could go very, very early. Um, you're going to hear all the cliches, all the comparisons and all that, but you can see it. You know, I'm not a huge fan personally, but you throw it on. You see how teams could convince themselves, like, this could be a guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I also think, depending on what year you start with, you get a very different picture of Will Levis. If you go back to that 2021 20, tape where um, he had an NFL offensive coordinator, effectively, as his play caller, where he ran a, a real NFL offense, um, you saw a much better version of Will Levis. Everything around him was worse in 2022, and he was worse in 2022. Now, there's obviously the question of, well, how much of that is the supporting cast? How much of that is him? Um, and, and what you make of that, that's for every evaluator to work out for themselves. But, I mean, I started watching Will Levis tape by looking at that 2021 year. I'm like, look, I'm I'm more interested in what his ceiling is, well, how he plays when he's at his best. Let's look at that year. You know, let's look at how he played against that, the best Georgia defense, the best defense period of maybe college football history. Um and there's a lot to like about that version of Will Levis. And sure, like with all these guys, we're talking about a certain degree of red flags or concerns or whatever it is. But, you know, Carolina, they need to do something because they've had a bunch of swings and misses at quarterback in the last couple of years. The Sam Darnold experiment was a bad idea at the time and was proven to be such. The Baker Mayfield thing, I think, was a much better idea at the time but didn't prove any better. Um, obviously, P.J. Walker is not going to be the guy. So they need to do something. And if quarterback goes 1-2 in this draft, you can definitely see how they'd be like, we can't wait, till, we can't wait at 9. We're going to have to go do something. Not only has Carolina gone the veteran route, you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater, a couple of other guys they've brought in for big money, it's not worked out. Then you bring in Frank Reich, who's also been doing that in Indianapolis, bringing in veterans that have not really worked out as well. So yep. everyone in that building has gone that route, Snake tried bitten. that route. Yeah. yeah, Snake Bitten. So, you know, go up and get your guy. I think, you know, ownership, David Tepper is a very aggressive owner, wants to do these things, wants to build a winner um, and have a franchise quarterback finally. You know, basically since he's on the team, they haven't even had a guy that you can really sell the fan base on. This is the face of the franchise. This is our guy. Um, so I think it would make a lot of sense. You know, also this is random, but we talk about transfers a lot and people don't like transfers. This is going to be another transfer quarterback that goes in the top five, top ten for, what, the third, fourth, fifth year in a row at this yeah. point? It's, it's a consistent theme at this point. And, and people are using that as a knock on him. Right. You know, it's like, well, he couldn't even beat a guy out. That's like, okay, we need to stop with that argument first mm -hmm. and foremost. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. Like, Joe Flacco couldn't beat out Tyler Palco at Pitt before he had to transfer to Delaware. Like, he was a better player by far. You can't use that. I mean, people will bring up Tom Brady it's not really true with Brady. Like, he did beat out Drew Henson several times. They just refused to let it actually, be, like, be reflected on who was starting. But there's a ton of these guys now, and it's gonna get only going to get more with the transfer portal and that kind of thing where it, I don't think it's a fair criticism. Like, sometimes you're not given the opportunity to win the job or, you know, a guy is just an incumbent and you're not going to – they're not going to dump him for you even if you are better. So – these, this is going to happen more and more. It shouldn't be used as a reason to like knock a guy that he couldn't beat out a guy that was ahead of him before. Development is not linear. It's not. And, and yeah, it's, it's just a storyline every time. Oh, well, how, he couldn't beat out you know, Sean Clifford, so why should he be an NFL quarterback? It's, it's irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. Right. Pick number four. This is where Chicago traded down to with their uh, number one overall pick. They got the Indianapolis pick at number four. I do think you were right when you, you talked about this right up top that one of the most interesting questions coming out of this whole Jalen Carter thing, as we now know it, is does this open up more picks or more trade partners potentially for Chicago because they're no longer thinking about the, the whole concept that we've been talking about from day one is 
ideal scenario for them is they drop to four. They get their, you know, they get to pick at least one of those two defensive blue chip guys. Well, if now there's only one of them left, or at least one that they're comfortable taking high, then four doesn't even get you there necessarily. And so you might as well go to seven and get a bigger haul, or nine and get a bigger haul, or down to you know twelve. Like they can go, they can go further because there's no longer this one carrot that you're picking up on the defensive side. So you might as well just get the best trade you can you can amass. And yet in this particular one, they've stuck with the trading to four. Yeah, and they still were able to get Will Anderson, obviously, with the three quarterbacks going, which, hey, it's probably certainly possible. We know how this draft goes. But I, has, I almost think it's okay. We go to two with Houston and still get, you know, Will Anderson. And then, yeah, I mean, Tennessee at 11 is an interesting team as well. I um, mean, those, you know, you're getting multiple first-round picks. you know, And you could still get, you know, a Peter Skaronsky at your offensive line. Just don't go with one of these freakish defensive players. But arguably get a guy that maybe even makes more of an impact and where you need to improve the most, um, which is, of course, on offense. Yeah, I mean, this is – a little bit like Houston in terms of it's another ideal scenario for Chicago. They trade down to four, not guaranteed that they would be able to pick up, you know, one of those, uh, well, not one of those, Will Will Anderson, thinking that there's a pretty good chance Arizona takes him at three and you miss out on that, but that's okay. It's still worth taking the draft haul that we get to move down to four. And they end up stumbling into Will Anderson anyway because of the trades up. And quarterbacks going one, two, three in this draft would be a pretty fascinating um turn of events as well because as much as I think this is a good quarterback group or at least at the top like the the four guys that we're pretty comfortable with um, high in the first round maybe four in the top ten it doesn't feel like they're the sort of lights out group that would make you go one two three quarterback Definitely not. No, this isn't. I know it sounds funny. Hindsight, this isn't like a Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold type of class or, uh, you know, one of those classes where teams feel we have to get up there. And even like the Jets, for example, at three, just saying we're comfortable getting one of those guys. Right. right. They're, they're all that good that we'll get one of them. I think this year it's more of a which flavor is your your preference. Yes. I want to get I want to get my guy, not a guy. I, this is so the, the draft class that I would contrast it with is the Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, you know, Trey, uh, Trey Lance. Justin Fields class where from doing the prep on that I came away liking all five of those quarterbacks right, right. Now, obviously you know Zach Wilson's been a disaster so far so you're going to be wrong on that but I think most people liked most of those quarterbacks you know even when you, you looked at the Mac Jones thing when the 49ers first traded up to three and the talk was they wanted Mac Jones you're like all right let's go and have a look at that does that make sense you go through Mac Jones's tape you're like Mac Jones would cook in this offense like that would that would be very good now I wouldn't trade three first round picks to make it happen but you put Mac Jones in that Shanahan offense I think you're getting a lot of good things to come out of that and I think there was a feeling that year that as long as you come out of it with one of those guys you're in a pretty good spot um you know, Zach Wilson sort of strangely emerges as the consensus number two somewhere along the way. But I, I think you're right that this is a very different draft class where not everybody is going to look at these four guys and go, I like all four of them. You're going to get guys go, I like one of those guys. I like two of those guys. And it's almost impossible to like all four because they're in some ways they're sort of antithesis of each other. Like Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young cannot possibly – you can't like both of those at the same time and be like, yeah, I'm happy with either one of those polar opposite players. Yeah, and also we talked about just the context of the entire situation. You know, can a GM wait for two, three years for the guy to develop? Some, some, some yes, some no. Like if you're in Houston, you probably could take a, you know, a project type player and see if it pans out in a couple years. Yeah, if you're in Indy, maybe not. This next one is my favorite pick of this, uh, this part of the mock draft that we're talking about. Pick number five, the Seattle Seahawks end up drafting Kalijah Kansi, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh, who literally half an hour ago uh, just set the fastest ever 40, official 40 time for a defensive tackle at the combine. 4.67, I think he ran, which is one one hundredth of a second faster than Aaron Donald, who held the previous record. So the Kalijah Kansi, Aaron Donald comps simply cannot stop happening. And I love that he brought up Grady Jarrett, who I think he kind of reminds of a little bit as well. At his podium, we talked about you know some of the undersized guys that he watches and thinks he can model his game after. I mean, you're going to get the Aaron Donald because the pit connection. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should be comparing anyone to Aaron Donald, right? Um, you know, but yeah, so like those type of guys. Obviously, yes, it's a crazy speed, but at to what 275, 280 pounds, 81, so, yeah, 281. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, pretty solid. Um, yeah, he said to Trevor, our Trevor Sikama when he asked him how much he weighed, he said, "I'm 281, and I look good" or something like that. So, <laughs> so he's feeling it. He, he's feeling it. But yeah, I mean, he's going to go high. You, you test like that. Um, 
even with the you know the short height, all that, you're going to go early. I didn't see the second time. You know, they do the whatever it is, the overlay, the sort of the one guy's grayed out slightly, and they run them together. But the first one they ran in the stadium after his first 40 time, and he was neck and neck with Aaron Donald through 25, 30 yards, something like that. And then Donald gapped him over the last 10. Um, that was when the first time was four seven something. So if you manage to shave, you know, have a tenth off that and end up pipping Aaron Donald at the end. The point being, though, like he's doing what he can to kind of justify the crazy comps that are being made. Like he's not going to be Aaron Donald. You're right. That is unreasonable. But being able to show that you have an Aaron Donald-like get-off yeah. is important when you are six foot, 281, you're coming in with the short arms. Like you're not you are going to be as borderline undersized as it gets at that position, the more you can do to be, you know, record setting or unprecedented in terms of speed burst, that's important for him. And like you said, the fact that he went twice and he was neck and neck the, f- the first 20 yards both times, they care about the 10-yard split, right? I mean, yes. it's about the get-off. So to be exactly able to do that, the same 10-yard split. Right, to be able to do that twice, that's, that's real. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is as high as, as I've seen him picked in a mock draft so far. He's been rising through the entire process, um, and he's been sort of passing out other defensive tackles that were supposedly going much higher than him. It started off, and then he, he got up to number 10 to the Eagles, and you're like, that's a great fit. He could be the, the Milton Williams replacement. He hasn't really worked out there. You know, step in, take some of those Javon Hargrave mm-hmm, snaps if mm-hmm. he leaves in free agency. But all of a sudden now we're saying, all right, let's push him into the top 10. Let's push him into the top five. That's getting pretty special. You look at his PFF pass rushing grades, basically an 80 in 2020, uh, an 84 in 2021, and then a 92.4 in 2022. Pressure's going up each single season. Pass rush grade going up. I mean, this is a guy that looks like the most disruptive interior pass rusher in the draft. And also, we're talking about Anthony Richardson, you know, similar example. It's not viewed as a great draft class. I think it's been something we've all kind of heard throughout this week. If you don't feel that way, just take the most toolsy, traitsy guy, which apparently as of today is <laughs> arguably him. Yeah, absolutely. So no, pick number six. Um, another interesting one here. This is the Detroit Lions selecting Tyree Wilson, the edge from Texas Tech. He is the guy that ticks those physical boxes again right he's six foot six 275 pounds something like that i actually need to go and check their uh, their official weigh-in size but he is a monstrous edge rusher there are people out there that think he is a better prospect a better edge rusher than will anderson i, I think those people are crazy but detroit picking him at number six is a hell of a statement i actually love it i, I know they obviously just drafted aiden hudson and josh pascal they have romeo aquara charles harris but the I, great I, james houston the fourth how could i my goodness how could i forget <laughs> um yeah he did the his uh his wingspan at the podium looked right. like mj in the, the infamous poster um he's definitely got a big wingspan there's no doubt about that um yeah i mean i think he's a really good player i think he is a guy that you know coming off the injury at the end of the season maybe you know isn't an impact guy right away but again going back to it you want a toolsy traitsy guy in a four three it can play at you know at edge we talk a little bit about you know obviously Will Anderson is a special player but can a team like Chicago like take a guy who's 243 pounds you know listed here at 275 we don't know the official number but a much bigger guy yeah and do you think that this is a so I think a lot of people have Detroit picking an edge rusher in part because they just think that the value there in the top 10 is better but if would you pick a different position for Detroit with potentially bigger needs at corner, you would be able to pick the first corner off the board. Maybe it's a reach if you don't think a, a Devin Witherspoon is worth, you know, the number six overall pick if he's not as good as a guy like Sauce Gardner from a year ago. But when you start thinking about position value married with team need, married with, you know, the sort of the privilege, I guess, of being able to take the first guy off the board who you believe is the best. Um, does it make more sense for a position like that, or do you just say Tyree Wilson fits a need, and we love this guy, so let's do that? So interesting is I'm wondering if this is going into his uh, his mock here. So Tevin Witherspoon did not come out for his media availability. I don't want to mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. I think he just has like a tweaked hamstring, nothing nothing major. Um, but I don't think he's going to test either um, because of a you know a minor injury. Um, but you know, a bit of a smaller guy too. Like he is the most physical corner in this class, one of the most physical college corners I've seen in a while. Um, but you see guys like Christian Gonzalez, Brian Branch today at their podium. They look like linebackers. So right. he is a bit smaller. Um, I think it's a great fit. Um, he actually has him going there at 18. Um, maybe he does make it that far but I think when you have the luxury of those two top 20 picks that Detroit has maybe that's how you sell yourself on yeah let's just take the number one guy at a position because then we can get a guy at 18. 
Tyree Wilson's official measurement, six foot six and 271 pounds. So six, uh, six, 92nd percentile, seven, 271, 67th percentile, and then arms, 35 and five eighths, <laughs> 96th percentile. Yeah. And I think the wingspan was even more ridiculous. A seven foot three wingspan. No, sorry, a, a, a six foot six wingspan, 86 inches. Um, no, 86 inches at six foot six, which is one inch smaller than Giannis at seven foot three. <laughs> so the dude is an absolute freak show when it comes to physical ability, measurables, all those kinds of things. I think that's a pretty interesting pick for Detroit. It's I've been kind of pushing back on the edge rusher thing for the Lions because I don't know that they they need that. I think they've got a ton of young guys that they could kind of you know give a little chance to develop and go a different direction. But I get the idea that he might be the best player on the board for them at this point and then just make it happen. Yeah, and look, we saw Aiden Hutchinson get kicked inside a little bit on passing down, so maybe it's also thinking they're just going to be really multiple um, with Aaron Glenn there in Detroit. You know, they did a lot of that in New Orleans where he was in the past. Uh, he does have a DB background, but, you know, he was the defensive coordinator there. They were shuffling guys all over, doing a lot of different things. So it's just, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Of course, we want to address needs, especially a team right now that, you know, in a bad NFC is arguably a couple good picks away from really being a true contender in that conference. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when, when you're when you're that long and that, that gifted of a, not, that, that, build, that build, it's hard to pass out for a lot of these guys. Pick number seven. This one's going to be different because the trade stipulated early in the draft, Aaron Rodgers going to the Las Vegas Raiders. So the Raiders no longer earn or own the number seven pick. The Packers do. And they're selecting Brian Branch, the safety uh, slot sort of hybrid player from Alabama, a guy that a lot of people seem to love. But pick number seven is very high. It is, yeah. So he, he mentioned today at his podium that teams have kind of told him he, you could play outside corner, you could play safety, you could play nickel. Um, have not put him in a box. And I do think, when I mean, you look at Green Bay losing Adrian Amos, obviously Darnell Savage, their former first-round pick, they benched him and then put him in the slot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they could use, use help at all of the spots that Brian Branch right. play. They're looking for that type of player, obviously. <laughs> 110%. So it, it makes sense from that standpoint, no question. But that is, that is pretty early. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a, another guy who... Um, a little bit like Kalisha Kansi, does seem to be rising up draft boards, does seem to be a consensus that everybody loves this guy. And the closer we get to this, the, the draft, the higher you're seeing him selected, even if um, it doesn't necessarily seem like uh, the, where you would have him, given what we've seen from him so far. But that would be a, a really good pick in terms of addressing their needs, addressing weaknesses, you know, attacking areas that they're struggling with. Um, it's just higher than I've seen it happen and we know Green Bay also just does whatever they want to do. They, they don't care true. about the board. They don't care about what other people think. They just do what they think is the best way to go about it. Um, so if that is, you know, what they're looking for, what they want to attack, you know, they also it's it, it's treated as kind of like house money when you get these trades. You see teams when they yeah. get the picks from someone else, they really just do what they're thinking. It's not very, um, you know, it's not very thought out a lot of times. So maybe that's just hey, this guy it fits. It's perfect. Yeah, maybe it's early, but we didn't think we'd be picking here in the first place anyway. Right. Now we get to something really interesting. Pick number eight. This is now the Baltimore Ravens because they sent Lamar Jackson away to Atlanta, traded him away. Um, Baltimore Ravens now own pick number eight, and they need a quarterback. There's only one quarterback available left because three of them went one, two, three. So the Baltimore Ravens select C.J. Stroud from Ohio State to effectively replace Lamar Jackson after that trade. That would be something. I mean, that would obviously be the talk of the entire offseason. I think it's interesting, you know, I've never probably had a game, one single game that's impacted my thoughts on a prospect more than <laughs> CJ Stroud against Georgia. You don't right. want to do that, but I think the one instance where you can is when it's against maybe the best defense in college, like in a long time, um, you know, two years in a row, and his ability to operate out of structure, to look, you know, elusive, mobile, a lot of those things. I mean, this would still be a dramatic change in their entire offensive approach. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I mean, they're obviously built to figure that out. Which but is likely happening anyway, even <laughs> if they keep, you know, Lamar Jackson. True, There's true. going to be significant changes going from that Greg Roman offense to, to Todd Munkin and, and shifting in philosophy anyway. Um, but you're right, it would be even more extreme going straight to a, a rookie in C.J. Stroud. I do like the Munkin-Stroud, you know, connection, though. I mean, I think you can throw down the sidelines, you know, throw deep. Munkin is a guy that likes to, you know, uh, not air raid per se, but definitely likes to air it out. So, um, you know, I think it is an interesting fit. Obviously, this would be, you know, a crazy, crazy scenario. But look, if the Ravens are going to trade Lamar Jackson, they have to have an immediate replacement. And, you know, yeah. in this scenario, they do. There might not be a single college football game that has more import in the draft than that one C.J. Stroud versus Georgia game because it's only one game, but it does fundamentally change your analysis of him if you weigh it highly enough. Alternatively, if you say it's one game, I don't care. I've seen 
many other games, those are more important, then, you know, it doesn't mean anything. But the fact that he essentially not only answered every potential question mark that you have about him, but did it emphatically on the biggest stage against the toughest opposition, um, it is a huge data point. Like, it's, it's, it's literally the only thing you can ask him to do. The only question is, why did it only happen in that one game? And how do you weigh that versus all of the other information? I think it was huge, too, because to that point, the best defense they'd played was Michigan, and he did not look very good in that game. So right. it was a counter to you know him going up against a really good defense with a bunch of NFL players. I guess he's pretty good against Penn State, who has a bunch of guys um, always going early you know, from their defensive side of the football. But, yeah, like it was also a big counter to, you know, can he play against these great defenses? Emphatically, yes. If you were Baltimore and the 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 uh, contract talks with Lamar Jackson are breaking down. You just don't believe you're going to be able to bridge that gap, and you're gonna you're getting to the point where you're fielding trade calls, or you're thinking about trading them away. Do you uh, put a an exclusive or a non-exclusive franchise tag on them? Because the non the non-exclusive one means you just get two first round picks back, right? He can negotiate with other people. If you don't match it, you get two firsts. The end. But the exclusive one means you can essentially just negotiate with trade teams, right? And you can have a much bigger deal coming back, and he then has to figure out the contract, you know, basically on his own. But you you can get more in the trade, but you don't get the benefit of effectively the market negotiating his contract on your behalf. Because what I think it becomes interesting for Baltimore, normally I would say exclusive, you get a better trade. I mean, it's simple, the, the end. But because the nature of this one is we're so far apart in the contract, theoretically, and we believe he's being unreasonable or we believe he's wrong, right? If you believe that, you probably also believe that the market is going to back you up and everyone else is going to offer something closer to what you're offering than what he's insisting on. And if, you, if that's what the offer ends up being, you just match it and you keep them. At every other position, I would agree. Um if he gets a non-exclusive tag, I think the Atlanta Falcons will sign him to a near fully guaranteed deal. I mean, look, they were a team that was very close to bringing in Deshaun Watson last year. And the, right. we now know the only way you were in that sweepstakes, of course they didn't get him, but was if you were probably in navigating those waters of, of signing a precedent-changing, franchise-altering, league-altering deal. So but Wasn't that supposedly sort of what what eventually like because it, it was Atlanta and I forget who the other Orleans team was, was in the mix for right a little bit. but those were the sort of front runners and then all of a sudden like Cleveland let the pack and like jump back into the, the you know pole position and the sort of the story at the time was well the only way you do that you go from like rank outsider not really in it to oh, all of a sudden the Browns are traded for him is giving him the crazy five-year fully guaranteed contract that nobody else wanted to do so how close were Atlanta and New Orleans to that kind of contract or was like the difference between where they were, you know, normal contracts and the one that Cleveland was willing to give, like was that actually the determining factor? It's a huge question. I mean, it's, it's a massively impactful question. I would guess that they were definitely still in an outlier range, right? I mean, I mentioned this before. The second highest, so $230 million fully guaranteed signing for Deshaun Watson. The second highest ever is $101.5 million for Aaron Rodgers. So more than double the next highest, but I would guess that Atlanta was in that outlier range still. Maybe not 230 but maybe approaching 200 um, I think they really were. I mean, I think Arthur Blank wants to spend money. I think he also understands the value of bringing in a guy that his city and the team would galvanize around. They've been in the dumps. I mean, look, they obviously were pretty far along because Matt Ryan clearly caught wind of something sure. and said, get me the heck out of here yesterday. Um, and so they obviously, I think, were making some progress there. Right. I mean, that would. I think that's one of the biggest questions for Baltimore is even – even if they can't get this deal done, then how do you go about trying to get the best deal done for a trade? Or do you sort of use the fact that other teams can negotiate to kind of prove your point? Be like, look, this is not the deal that you're going to get. What you're asking for is is not reasonable relative to, to the concerns we have of can you operate properly outside of this Greg Roman offense? Can you stay healthy? You know, because the last two years you've been banged up. Like all these kinds of things, these are... I think reasonable concerns from their point of view to want some kind of concessions in the contract to, to want something beyond here's five years fully guaranteed money um, and if they think that those are legit theoretically the rest of the NFL should kind of follow suit and be like I mean we might go a bit higher we might give some more money here or there 
but we don't want to give a five-year, $240, million deal either. Right. I mean, you're right. See, maybe we get to a point where it stretches Baltimore a little bit thin, but they still go ahead and match it. And I would say one thing that's probably um, not working in his favor is, let's say they do that, they're not exclusive. He then, him and his mom are then negotiating with other teams, you know, does not have representation, to my knowledge, does not have an advisor either, because some guys, like a Roquan Smith, for example, um, does not have an agent, but has a, an advisor who, you know, became famous last year, um, you know, for, for a number of reasons. But so, yeah, it's also, okay, you're going to go try to talk to new teams for the first time. You've never done this really. Um, and you're going to try, hey, this new team that I don't know, that I, you know, maybe the draft process, you got to know that team to a degree. Hey, I, want, I also want this $250 million guarantee deal, and we don't even know each other very well, um, you know, as people. Um, that, that's definitely, you know, whereas let's say it was a, a top agent like Deshaun Watson has, who's maybe negotiated with all these teams, maybe it's a little bit easier to do that. Are the days of true poison pill contracts dead? So are you, are you risking some, by putting a non-exclusive franchise tag offer or a tag on him and allowing him, therefore, to negotiate with other teams? Are you automatically essentially exposing that to a team who's going to come in with some crazy poison pill you can't match. So for folks that don't know, so it's actually illegal now, and just like one quick anecdote on those, there used to be deals where teams would literally say, one example I can think of off the top of my head was, this player would have to be the highest paid offensive lineman on his team. And the team he was originally with had a like a, one of the highest paid offensive linemen in the entire NFL. Right. They knew that he would not be the highest paid offensive lineman on his team if they matched it. So it's called a poison pill, basically putting in little clauses that made it impossible for the original team to match. There was one crazy one that like he had to be. It was something about like the number of games played in a certain state or something crazy yep, that yep, would automatically yep. trigger it, and therefore the team that he was on couldn't match it. And then the NFL was like, okay, this is ridiculous. Yeah, those those are legal now. You cannot do that. Okay. (laughs) But you can structure a contract in such a way to make it awkward, which presumably gets less relevant if we're talking about fully guaranteed deals anyway. No, but yeah, you, you could you know have it where, because again, for people who don't know, if you match, you're also matching the structure of that contract. Right. So let's say a team with a ton of cap space, let's say Atlanta, they're second in cap space right now with $57 million in cap space. What if they put a $50 million cap hit in the first year, you know, even larger than the exclusive tag, and Baltimore has a lot of big contracts on their roster. Um, can they match a deal and have a $50 million cap? Of course, they would match it and restructure it five minutes later, but you know, just do you can do little things like that to make it complicated. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, theoretically, a team like Atlanta specifically, are cap- because of their cap space, are, are effectively capable of creating a contract that Baltimore basically can't match. They would have to like restructure every single deal on their roster because, again, you have to have the space to initially do it. You then can clear room. But like for a trade, for example, um, you, know, you have to have that space available at the beginning, and then once you bring the player in, you can restructure him. But you can't trade and then restructure a deal. You have to have that room available. Right. Yeah. The other element to this particular trade away and then drafting of C.J. Stroud is this would be an unreal and unreasonable amount of pressure on C.J. Stroud. You know, congratulations, you've just been drafted. First round, number eight overall. You're at the face of our franchise. You're our new quarterback. By the way, you have to pick up where Lamar Jackson left off because a lot of people are pissed off that we just traded him away. You're replacing a unanimous MVP who's 25, 26 years old. Uh, Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Okay, pick number nine. Um, the Arizona Cardinals, this is where they ended up getting, trading down for, with, uh, with Carolina, the, uh, the Panthers' original pick. They picked the first cornerback off the board. They picked Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, a guy I think we have number two on our PFF big board at the, uh, the cornerback position. I mean, anywhere on defense is an area of massive need for Arizona. Any single position on defense you could add. I mean, already bad last year. Jonathan Allen, or uh, Zach Allen, you got J.J. Watt already, you know, becoming free agents. Christian Gonzalez today at the podium, uh, he's big. I mean, like we knew he is very fluid, um, you know, oily hips, as, as they say, like really, really good player. He's a big, big dude. Um, I, I think he is a, you know, plug-and-play number one corner in the NFL right away. I think Jonathan Gannon, with that defensive back background, would love this pick. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to bear in mind as well, they're going to be shifting in a slightly different direction on defense with, with Jonathan Gannon coming over. You know, they're going to be changing a lot of personnel as well. Um, that does make a lot of sense for them. And as much as we have Devin Witherspoon as our number one corner, you can absolutely see why, and I think this is true in pretty much any season, why teams are going to have 
different corners at number one depending on exactly what it is you're looking at. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I I know they put a lot of man in Illinois. Um, Oregon maybe a little bit, a little bit more off. Um, I think Gonzalez, you know, he does not bring that physicality that Devin Witherspoon does. I think he can. Like I said, I mean, the dude is dude is massive. Um, so I think you can get there. Um, not, not he's like a you know an unwilling tackler. He's just not Devin Witherspoon. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think Jonathan Gannon would be jumping up and down. We'd be getting the you know the Brad Holmes Penne Sewell 2.0 if this was the case. Yeah, that would be uh, a pretty interesting pick as well. And then number ten. We get the Philadelphia uh, Eagles picking. This is another one I haven't seen before. Um, Lucas Van Ness, edge rusher from Iowa. And this uh, would be kind of an Eagles pick where, look, a, a traits and tools guy, a guy that didn't play a ton because he was an underclassman um, in Iowa. You know, for all the things that Iowa does, one of them is they don't pay – they play the older guys even if you're better than them, um, which he was. Um, he's a guy that, you know, Daniel Jeremiah has been talking up a ton as, a, you know, he's going to test off the charts. I guess that's happening relatively soon. Well, um, it's happening, but it's not testing off the charts because apparently he has a 31-inch vertical which is the 24th percentile. So I think that this article would be updated. He would no longer be here, um, <laughs> especially for, you know, vert and explosiveness metric. Yeah, I, I will say this. This is an aside. And just people that are wondering, because we're going through Chris Trapasso's mock, he had uh, Jalen Carter eventually going 17th to the Pittsburgh Steelers. In my opinion, let's say nothing changes with the current legal situation. It's two misdemeanors, and, and there's no more than that. Howie Roseman would not let Jalen Carter fall beyond 10, in my opinion. That's what I was going to ask. Is a team like Philadelphia, maybe maybe not them specifically because of Harry Roseman, but is a team with two first-round picks more likely to be the one that goes, you know what, it's worth it? It's a fair point. Right, you have the backup of A. We can hit another pick if maybe something things don't work out there. But, look, you pair him back in um, you know, with his college teammate in Jordan Davis. Um, he is you know, arguably the best player in this class. But that is a good point as well. I mean, because maybe even Detroit at six, they, they have the conversation. They actually need, in my opinion, you know, they're getting an edge rusher in this draft. They need interior more. I think Lee McNeil is a good player. I think Levi Muzurike was a good prospect but has not been able to stay healthy. Obviously, moving on from Michael Brockers, who was kind of a healthy scratch last year anyway. But, you know, they need some more on the interior where they also have that conversation of, Hey, we're also picking at 18, so yes, there's some risk here, but we have that other first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, this is a potentially really damaging uh, workout for Lucas Van Ness, a, a guy that was expected to test really well. A 31-inch vertical is pretty bad. A 9-foot, 10-inch broad jump is also not very good. Um, and I think it's, no matter how much you don't want to do it, NFL, everybody, same school scouts all the time, or at least when it comes to comping players, right? And he is going to have to battle against the idea that he is A.J. Epinesa again, who was a guy we really liked coming out and is underwhelmed at the next level. And, you know, he's going to have to show that he has something different and that he can come in and be as dominant as he was in college. And that's not a great way of starting that. And he was a guy that was getting mocked top 10, maybe top 15, top 20, right. and then went second round and honestly has been underwhelming even for that second round pick so far in Buffalo. So, yeah, I know that the same the same school scouting thing, all that, hey, maybe he has a better pro day. Um, they obviously do have a great strength and conditioning you know, program at Iowa. They pump, pump out freak athletes all the time. Um, but, yeah, that, that not a great workout for him today. All right, let's run a f- through a few more picks of this mock. Um, pick number 11, Paris Johnson, Jr., offensive tackle from Ohio State going to the Tennessee Titans. I mean, Tennessee needs offensive line, uh, partic- particularly at tackle as well. Um, you know, obviously been hurt recently, but Taylor Lewan was their best offensive lineman by a good margin when he was playing, um, and of course, no longer there. A recent cap casualty, maybe a, you know, retirement guy. You're, you're good pal. Huge fan of PFF and everything mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and slightly intimidated by Steve and, and his size, and also your your size and, and stature. Right. So thank, thank you for that. Uh, of course, um, but yeah, no. This this is one of those classic. Like, yes, it's a need pick, but it's also just a good player. Just makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I mean, any any. Any Tennessee pick coming away with an offensive lineman in the first few rounds in this draft is a good one. They need offensive line help badly across the board, so like this. Um, Number 12, Houston Texans, Jordan Addison, wide receiver. I love this. Jordan Addison, I think, is the best receiver in this draft. They give their new quarterback a wide receiver to play with. They already have some players in there that can help. Like, this is a great pick. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I mean, they need to replace Brandon Cooks. He's going to get traded, you know, pretty much as soon as the league year starts. I think it even came out yesterday. They're, they're kind of starting to have some, <laughs> you know, approach. That, yeah, the guy that gets traded almost every right. year at this point um, and just shows up and puts up a 1,000-yard seasons. But, yeah, I also actually have – I think Addison's the best receiver in this class. Another shout-out to the forecast yesterday, but said you should go out and bet that. I just don't think Quentin Johnston is going – I know he's the only one that's, like, a potential X, 6'4", yeah. all that. It's probably why he's the favorite, an odds-on favorite. Um, but I think Addison is that dude and a guy that can separate – 
can get open. I think can play outside too. I don't think he's just a slot. Oh, absolutely. Um, you get him, John Mechie. You know, Nico Collins is a solid guy, mm-hmm. especially if he's number three. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then Bryce Young, a couple, you know, Laramie Tunsil I mentioned, Titus Howard's taking strides. Got to have better play from Kenyon Green. But all of a sudden, our guy Bobby Slowick is cooking in Houston. Absolutely. Pick number 13, the New York Jets, Peter Skoronsky, offensive tackle slash guard, uh, Northwestern. That, I think that makes sense as well. And I, I like the idea that they could actually try him and tackle first. Like whatever his arms come in and measure at, you know, he's going to be one of these guys right around that 32-inch cut, cutoff. The report was wherever he got measured, it was 32 and a quarter. That's not the official combine measurement yet. But if he's in that range – He's right on that cutoff of when teams are like, you're a guard, automatically. But the Jets' biggest need, arguably, is to try that left tackle spot. If Mackay Becton comes back and, and stays healthy and plays well, you can kick him into guard and give him a try. Like, they have the ability to fit him in somewhere. I mean, look, Joe Douglas is, you know, a guy. Come Baltimore and Philadelphia, they want trenches. They want to add to these positions. They took Elijah Vera Tucker at 13th overall a couple years ago um, after trading up with the Minnesota Vikings. Another guy that, you know, they did play him attack a little bit this year with some injuries. You know, Dwayne Brown, is he back next year in New York? We don't really know. You mentioned Makai Becton. You know, I've barely seen the guy. Obviously very talented, but I've not seen much out of him. George Frant, a free agent. Um, Connor McGovern, a center, a free agent. So, yeah, makes all the sense in the world. Like you said, wor- not worst-case scenario, but, yeah, kicking him inside to be a good left guard um, is not a bad outcome. Okay, pick number 14, Broderick Jones, New England Patriots, uh, giant offensive tackle from Georgia. I'm going to run through a few of these at a time, and let's get through the entire first round. Pick number 15, Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah, uh, going to the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Pick number 16, Keely Ringo from Georgia, uh, going to the Washington Commanders. Pick number 17 is where we get Jalen Carter, uh, Georgia again, going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That kind of feels unfair. Uh, pick number 18, Devin Witherspoon, our number one corner, going to the Detroit Lions. So the guy we were talking about, do you take him at number six? They end up picking their edge rusher, getting Witherspoon at number 18 anyway, and potentially getting the best corner off the board as well as their edge rusher. 19, Darnell Wright, offensive tackle from Tennessee, going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a team that is going to need offensive line help. And number 20 is Quentin Johnston going to the Seattle Seahawks, the TCU wide receiver, who is the one guy in this class that has that prototypical six foot four, 215, probably going to run really fast, probably going to jump really well. He's the sort of prototypical X receiver in this class even if his tape isn't as good as a guy like Jordan Addison. Yeah, I mean, just a couple, you know, reactions to a bunch of those. I'd be surprised if the Patriots don't take an offensive lineman. Um, you know, losing Isaiah Wynn to free agency, Trent Brown, not really a guy that they've, you know, can, you can trust on a year-to-year basis, you know, has weight, you know, clauses in his contract, stuff like that. Obviously a good player when he plays, but, um, you know, I think Washington taking a corner makes a ton of sense as well. William Jackson, a good player. Or, excuse me. Um, uh, Kendall Fuller, a good player. They traded away William Jackson, um, but they need to add more there. Um, and I think they, their defense, obviously great up front, but need to add some depth there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, look, if Devin Witherspoon's there at 18. Jackpot. <laughs> yeah. Um, pick number 21. This is a fascinating one. This guy is all over the place when it comes to rankings. Jalen Hyatt, the wide receiver from Tennessee, going to the Chargers. Um, pick number 22, Cam Smith, the cornerback from South Carolina, going to Baltimore. Number 23, Deontay Banks, uh, DB from Maryland, going to the Minnesota Vikings. 24, Jalen Duncan um, from Maryland, going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's an offensive tackle. Pick number 25, Osiris Torrance, another offensive lineman, guard from Florida, going to the New York Giants. The Jalen Hyatt pick, he is, so number one, speed, exactly what the Chargers need. So that part, love it, fantastic fit. He's another guy at sort of six foot, 185. He's got kind of X receiver skills, even if he spent most of his time in the slot. Um, I don't know if he's the guy that Steve looks for every year, the new Will Fuller, but that offense in Tennessee is a joke of in terms of projecting to the NFL. It has no resemblance to what he's going to have to do at the next level. It's zero. It's impossible. Right. I mean, he's just a lot of go balls, a lot like, of just scheming himself wide open. Yeah. <laughs> you are going to get as much in terms of understanding how he can play football, watching him do drills at the combine as you did from watching him play in that offense. Like they're equally compar- or e- equally applicable. Yeah. No, I mean, like Cedric Tillman going to go later, but older, but again, like a guy that like a couple couple plays a game would be wide open streaking on the sideline like it's that was that was their offense. But and, and so I you know, where does Mike have him in, in on PFF's big board? It's somewhere in the mid 68. So, you know, top of the third round, right? Uh 
Lance Zerline has him number one. He's got him as the best wide receiver in this draft. Like, people are all over the place on this guy, I think, in large part, because that offense is madness. And you just have to look at a guy and go, burner, incredible speed, he's got enough size, he's got some ball skill. Like, you're literally just projecting traits and saying, how good do you think that is? Yeah, no, nothing he did resembled the NFL game at all. It's wild. (laughs) Um, All right. Let's wrap up the last few picks. Uh, Dallas Cowboys, pick number 26, Drew Sanders, linebacker from Arkansas. Uh, Pick number 27, the Buffalo Bills, Jackson Smith and Jigba, the wide receiver from Ohio State. Pick number 28, Cincinnati, uh, Joey Porter Jr., cornerback from Penn State. Uh, Number 29, New Orleans, B. John Robinson, the running back from Texas. Number 30, uh, Philadelphia, Brian Brissy, the defensive lineman from Clemson. And number 31, remember there's only 31 picks because of Miami's naughty tampering. Kansas City Chiefs, Miles Murphy, the edge rusher from Clemson. Anything jump out at the end there? I mean, look, Buffalo needs to add a receiver. I mean, they showed you that this year, bringing I back Cole like Beasley. That. Yeah, Jackson Smith the Jigbo would be incredible. And also, you know, at corner for the Bengals, you know, Eli Apple maybe not back. I think Cam Taylor Britt did show some progress this year and is a potentially good player. Um, but, you know, with the uncertainty around Jadobia Woozy and his injury, I like that one a lot. And then the last two, um, you know, with, again, we talked about Philly having two picks and the Chiefs, again, of course, picking last. Um, you know, the two defensive linemen falling. And then he got like Derek Hall at Auburn, too, a guy that's just like traitsy, like very good athlete. Maybe they, you know, take some, some shots there. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Those guys, those teams going back to the well on defensive line um, with those late picks, I think, is, is, is realistic. I gotta say, I can't see New Orleans being the team to stop Bijan Robinson's slide. I mean, frankly, I can't see Bijan Robinson getting past number 26 to Dallas. There's, there's just not a chance in hell that Jerry Jones says, no, I'm passing up on Bijan Robinson. Jerry Jones is drafting him if he's there, and I suspect he's not going to be there. I think he'll go higher than that. I agree with you. I think he will go earlier than that. And yes, I think Jerry Jones is like, okay. Well, now we don't, we don't have to tag Tony Pollard, and we can just cut Zeke outright, and right. we're good to go. Um, and one more, I love Osiris Torrance to the New York Giants. You know, they, they got the tackle set, and ideally, if Evan Neal can take a step, but you add a really good guard, a guy that I think can play pretty much right away, um, and, and they would be cooking with well, with Daniel Jones, I probably, um, and, and with whoever else they have. But also, hey, if they let Saquon. Barkley go, are they a potential, you know, B. John Robinson stopper as well? Right. I, those those last two picks, the Clemson defensive lineman as well, I think are sneaky good. Um, both of them are kind of falling at the mm-hmm, moment. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we were, there were guys everybody loved, and now the, the more into tape everyone's getting, the more we're actually falling in love with the Kalijah Kansies of the world and saying, ah, you know, is Brian Brissy really that good? Um, I think those feel like players where we're actually at some point going to overcorrect and actually they're going to end up being better players than we're giving them credit for. And if teams like Kansas City and Philadelphia end up coming out of this draft with guys that good, that's that's how you end up you know, going to Super Bowls. Right? Guys like that, guys like Nolan Smith with the injury, like, yeah, the guys that fall probably too far, and you just, you just, hey, like, you know, like you said, like, hey, it's just a swing. We're, we're picking so late. The fans are happy. We're picking 31st. So, you know, why not just take a guy that could become, you know, a really special player? All right, that's the first round of Chris Trapasso's mock draft from CBSSports.com. The first mock draft we were able to find that had a kind of post-Jalen Carter landscape in it. Um, I think that's one of the most fascinating things to come out of this combine so far. Other than, you know, the drills that are happening right now, the the live Lucas Van Ness nightmare that's that's occurring before our eyes. Um, So those are going to be going today. More workouts tomorrow. The combine for real has started now, even as we run on fumes from the uh, the PFF NFL podcast. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Thank you very much, Bradley, for stepping in to the exalted chair of Michael Renner. Hopefully Mike will be back tomorrow morning, and we'll talk to you then.